Philippians chapter 1 verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, of any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And you may be seated. Father, we do thank you for your word, Lord, that it is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, God. Pray that you would open our hearts, that we would hear what you have to say, Lord. This message would be in manifestation of your spirit and of your power, God. We come to meet with you, the living God, Lord. We believe that you're able to change us in the midst of your presence, God. Help us to hear your voice, Lord, and help us to look at your love and to understand some of that, Lord, and to just desire to want to live for you because of your great love for us, Lord. Your word says that you are love. And if you displayed your love at the cross, even when we were at our worst, you died for us, Lord. Help us, Lord, now to live for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we are in the book of Philippians. Um, <clears throat> Paul is writing from a Roman jail cell. Uh, he writes to the saints in Christ, Jesus, who are in Philippi, along with the bishops and deacons. And so he's writing to the leadership as well, to the church of Philippi. They had stood with Paul from the beginning, giving and supporting him, and he had a deep love for them. He writes, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He writes, I have you in my heart. And he prays for them that their love would abound still more and more in the knowledge of Christ. How greatly I long after you, Paul writes. He tells them that his imprisonment has turned out to be good for the furtherance of the gospel. And uh, he says that Christ is preached. He said, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. He wanted them to understand God's sovereignty not only in his own life, but for their lives as well. And so he tells them not to worry that he's in prison. Don't be fearful of your adversaries, Paul says. God is working this to the furtherance of Jesus Christ. Christ is being magnified. And he goes on to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That his chains are in Christ. 
And then he reassures them that he believes he'll be released. I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your furtherance. And he put them before himself. And Paul loved them, the church of Philippi. And this is what love means. It suffers long and it does not seek its own things. But it bears all things and it love endures all things. And love never fails, the scripture says. And it was the love of Christ that compelled Paul to live for him. And Paul and his love for this church of Philippi encourages them. And he gives them this exhortation where we begin today. Only let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You've seen my life, how I followed Christ and how I lived for him. And so Paul is saying, what about your life? Philippians 1 verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so the word conduct is really a word that means life. Let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so what about us? And as I'm reading the scriptures, I'm continuing to think, what is this verse saying to me? What are these words that Paul is writing, speaking into my heart? Am I living for Christ? And it's one thing to be saved, but it's another to live for Jesus Christ. And has the love of Christ compelled me to want to live for him? I'm not saying to maybe come into church on Sunday or to come in on Wednesday. Those are noble things and certainly we're being fed and equipped for the work of the ministry though and so as I look at the scriptures are we as Christ's bride living and laboring and striving together for the faith of the gospel because the scripture says in Romans chapter 7 that we're now married to another are we faithful to him and how will Christ find us when he returns his bride the Bible says, will he find faith? And Luke records that. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he find us living worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? There was an English evangelist. His name was Leonard Ravenhill. He's an author as well. He once said, uh, many pastors criticize me for taking the gospel so seriously. He said, but did they think that on Judgment Day Christ will chastise me? Saying, Leonard, you took me too seriously. I think not, Mr. Ravenhill says. He goes on to say, there's a move of God in America today, but not amongst the unsaved. It is amongst the redeemed, those who are determined by the grace of God to be part of the bride. And to be part of the bride, you have to be divorced from the world is the world crucified to us today or does it fascinate us are we crucified with Christ like Paul writes in Galatians and Jesus speaking says these words in Luke as well whoever desires to come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be 
my disciple. His words seem so foreign from the church today. Many would say legalistic, but these are the words of Christ speaking. If you're not willing to deny yourself and pick up your cross daily, then you cannot be my disciple. These words are not foreign to the Christians in Syria or Iraq and Egypt, in the Sudan or in China, in Iran who see their wives raped or their children sold off to slavery, and many are crucified or their heads are cut off because they will deny, they will not deny Christ. And I wonder what would happen with us in this country if we were faced with those things. And I complain when I have to get up early and cook some bacon for a, a homeless person. Um, people are in this world are suffering now, and they're because of the name of Christ. And, uh, and so, Lord, help us to see our condition. The early church and its passion and love for Jesus, how they were willing to lay down their lives for the gospel. Every one of them were martyred, except for John. And John was boiled in oil. But they were willing to lay down their lives. And so what happened? And in my case, I, I wonder about these things. And doesn't it make you wonder? And doesn't it make you say, I'm not like that? Because I've said it. What happened to us? And what happened to the church? We've become lukewarm, like the Laodicean church. We, 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 we come and we... We worship and we go out the door and we do the same things that we've always done. And we live for ourselves and we don't live for the Lord. We are thankful that he saved us, but we continue to live the way that we've always lived in many ways. Paul said, this one thing I do. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If we are mature, he writes, we should have this same mind. And so what is the upward call of God for us? What is it that Christ expects of us? What is our response to Christ's death on the cross? What is our response to his great love? We have this one life. In my case, much of it's over. But my heart is that I would finish well. And I'm sure that's the heart of many people that are here this morning, that they would finish well. So Paul's encouraging this church of Philippi, but he's also encouraging us. Live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether I'm with you or not, you know, sometimes we work a little better when the boss is around. You know, he's right next to us. And, you know, I've been in a lot of different businesses where when the boss is around, we're always working hard, you know. But Paul is saying, you know, whether I'm there or not, I want you to be about the business of the Lord because of his great love for you. Whether I'm here or not. That I may hear of your affairs, that Paul may hear of your condition, is what he's saying. That you would stand fast in one spirit, in one mind, for the faith of the gospel. And Paul would later, he would speak to Timothy about that. He would tell him to preach the gospel in season and out of season, convince and rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, endure afflictions. What? Inflictions, you know. People are good to that point. Do the work of an evangelist. Paul says, tell them that they're sinners who need a Savior, that there's none righteous, no, not one, and that Jesus Christ died 
for their sins. That's the message of the gospel, that all of us are sinners. We've all sinned. We're not better than anyone else, but we've understood in the midst of that, and Christ has revealed himself to us, that we sinned. And because we've sinned, we can't be in the presence of a holy and righteous God. But God made a way through his Son. And that's the message we have to give others in this world. And I pray that we're bold with that message. We have many in our families that are on their way to hell. We're too scared to tell them about Jesus. That they would be reconciled to God. His life for their lives. Their faith in his finished work at the cross. This is the message we're striving together in unity for. The world needs a savior. And Jesus is a great savior. Verse 28, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. And so he goes on to say from his jail cell, don't fear your enemies. You know, the Lord's with you. He's for you. And if Christ is for you, who could be against you? Be steadfast and immovable, Paul is saying. He'll never leave us or forsake us, and that's the promise of God. And many of us have experienced some places very deep in our lives and very hurtful and painful in our lives where Christ has come. And he's a faithful God. As your enemies see you not wavering, that you actually believe these things and you live them out, it will be a sign to them of their eternal destruction. Their end. That they, by your life, would know they need Jesus. As they look at your life, as they see you living for Christ, not only speaking about it, but actually living for the Lord Jesus, they're, they're going to understand that, hey, what's going to happen with my end? Where am I going? And that that would lead them to a place where they would ask, what's going on in your life? You're so different from the world. That they may be saved. Therein, that they by your life would know they need Jesus. Your life and not your words would speak of this salvation, the work that God did, that others would see your life and come to Jesus Christ. Verse 29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Not only to believe, but also to suffer. Paul suffered uh, in Corinthians uh, he writes, he was hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus always may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So Paul suffered. You know, he uh, at one point writes that he was in despair of life itself. You know, I was with you until we got to the part about the suffering. <laughs> you know, it's not only to believe in Jesus, but also that we would be willing to suffer for him. Jesus suffered. He was acquainted with grief, Isaiah writes. And we're not greater than the Master. We should expect to suffer. While we're in this world, and it will grow us. And love, love suffers long as kind, and Jesus suffered for us. And Paul writes also in Second Timothy, he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer 
persecution, and many of us here have probably faced those things. And suffering molds us to the image of Jesus. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes that we would be molded into the image of Christ, and that is the heart of the Father. How can we ever be molded into the image of Jesus Christ without going through some things? Having the same conflict which you saw in me, now here is in me. The same conflict, the same struggle. And again, as we look at the early church, they were of one mind, right? Acts chapter 2 speaks of that, that they were of one accord and that they were striving and struggling together for the faith of the gospel. At one point, the scripture says in Acts, these are they who have turned the world upside down. A handful of men and women suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying to all of us now, are you willing? What is a man or a woman given in exchange for the soul? And the answer to that is that we would give our lives to him to use. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. And so is there consolation in Christ? Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says that God has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. No one can console our hearts or our hurts like Jesus. He's the God of all comfort, the scripture says. In the midst of our raging storms, and many of us have been through them, the wind and waves still know his name and his voice, and he's the Prince of Peace, and we are refreshed by his Spirit. Christ consoles that we would console others. He comforts us that we might comfort others. And that was one of the prayers before we entered this room um, that was prayed. Them not even knowing what the scripture was today. That we would comfort others with the comfort that God has given us. And that's God's heart. In 2 Corinthians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so God lets us go through some things, some suffering. And what happens in the midst of that is that we, we, we have a heart of empathy now for others who are suffering. And we are willing now, because they've, we've gone through something, to know that how, how hard that is and that we would go to others and to wrap our arms around them and comfort them and speak things into their heart about where God had taken you through what you have gone through. And so God uses these things to be able to minister to his children. Is there any comfort of love in Christ? Love knows no bounds. It rushes over us in our weakest moments and even in times we believe we can no longer stand the love of Jesus keeps us it's the very anchor of our souls yes there is great comfort in his love any fellowship of the spirit if you belong to jesus the spirit of god resides in you and uh, it's recorded in john 14 and i will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance 
all things that I said to you. Yes, there is fellowship of the Spirit. And uh, I've worked in a lot of different places, and in some different places there was a it was kind of a rough atmosphere. But when I saw one person that knew Christ, my eyes would just light up. My heart would light up that there was fellowship in the Spirit of God that resided within them. And there is fellowship. And John writes about that in 1 John. There's fellowship of the Spirit, and God desires to lead our lives. Right in Romans, he says that for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. Is there any affection and mercy? And many of us experience the affection and mercy of God. God's mercy and his goodness. We can all speak of God's mercy, how he saved us. The psalmist writes these words, Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. Psalmist writes again, his mercy endures forever. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy, and God is the Father of all mercies. And they are new every morning. And the writer of Lamentations writes these verses, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He's the Father of all mercies. His deep affection for us, each of these gifts, the consolation in Christ, the comfort of love, the fellowship of the Spirit, and the affection and mercy are all things that we have experienced being followers of Jesus Christ. Love one another as I have loved you. This is how the world will know you are mine. Knowing that Jesus is giving you these gifts, this is how you should treat your brethren. That's what Paul goes on to say now in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Knowing that Jesus has given you this comfort, this love, this joy, this consolation, that we should give that away to other people. In verse 2 through 4, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Fulfill my joy. Paul's writing, if you treat one another with love and humility, this will bring me great joy. And uh, for my wife and I, we have four children, and um, as they grew up, there was some fighting that went on between the children. You know, not a lot of fighting, but once in a while there was some fighting going on. And uh, in the midst of that, you know, you've got to break them up and kind of move people away to the sides and try to uh, to uh, bring peace in that situation. But uh, when they were kind to one another, when they put the other first, when they did not try to get even or created peace, when they loved and held each other, we had great joy. And that's what Paul is saying to these Philippians. I want you to love one another. I want you to lift one another up. I want you to care for one another. And not just with your words, I want you to be there for one another. And this is the message today. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Have a deep and abiding unity among yourselves. 
Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Put others first. Don't let your flesh direct you. Don't be self-centered, but others-centered, right? Knowing how Jesus put our needs first. James writes, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Let nothing be done through conceit. This is the second step to this kind of unity. Don't think too highly of yourself. And the first step was let nothing be done through self amb selfish ambition, right? Let nothing be done through conceit now. Don't think too highly of yourself, right? For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, Paul would write in Romans chapter 12. And so when we do things, feeling we are so important or so able or so talented, we're out of God's will. You know, I don't need God for this. I can handle this part. We're working against unity. And you know, it's all about me, right? That's what society tells us. And so in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Charles Spurgeon I made a statement. He said, men do not quarrel when their ambitions have come to an end. Men do not quarrel when their ambitions have come to an end. Jesus said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. He, he was humble. And so let us be humble. He had all power, yet he acted in humility. The scripture said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And that's what love is, and that's what love does. <laughs> I had the opportunity to teach a lot of different children through the year, many classes, hundreds and hundreds of uh, youth uh, this year, and to stand before them. And one of the classes, one of the questions that I asked them was this. What does love mean? What does love mean? And out of the hundreds of the students, there were only two that came close to any kind of a biblical standard of what love means. Close to a right response. That love is putting others first. It's sacrificial. And it's giving. Giving a oneself for another. And that's foreign to this society. None of them do that, and that's a sad thing. That love is, is giving of yourself, and it's sacrificial, and it's long-suffering. And we see that in Paul, but not only do we see it in Paul, but we see that in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to think that we'll never go through this life experiencing any of that is very naive. Because God is the potter, and we're the clay. And he's molding us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how is he going to do that without bringing us through some fire or through some struggles? And it's not that God enjoys that, but God is molding you into something that's greater. That he can use for his welfare and his good. And for his kingdom. Love is putting others first. It was so far. I was in the covenant house speaking to them. And many of them haven't seen love in such a long time. I almost wanted to weep when I'm standing there because they have not experienced that. And some of the names for the kids, they're called throwaways and they're, they're teens that they, uh, 
Maybe they're a little mixed up and maybe they're bound by some drug. But uh, society casts them away. And but, but Jesus wants us to love others. Make no mistake about that. And it's not about your words. It's going to be about your actions. It's going to be about you stepping out and spending time with somebody. Whether you have to sit by a bedside with somebody or whether you have to do something for someone in the name of Jesus Christ that's love. Jesus said, this would be the thing that marks you. This is how all the world will know that you're mine. By the love that you have one for another. It's contrary to this world. That's why the kids couldn't tell me what it was. He could tell me about Instagram. He could tell me about Facebook and everything else. He could tell me about all kinds of different things in this world. But they didn't know what love was. And uh, sometimes I think that we forget, you know, the love that Jesus had for us. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. But it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. And now by its faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love, Paul writes in Corinthians. And this is the heart of the message today. Certainly Paul loved these Philippians and you see his heart as he writes from a jail cell encouraging them. You don't hear him saying how he's suffering in a jail cell <laughs> shackled to a Roman guard but he's saying that these things where God knew because of his sovereignty put him in that place that he was able to minister the gospel in the midst of a jail did he put them first the church of Philippi and their needs first by pointing them to Jesus and getting them to consider his love and what Jesus endured for them. But not only that, but what he's endured for us. The message comes down through the centuries into us. And we're hearing it now, 2,000 years later. Paul speaking of his love for them. But also the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for all of us. What is it going to make you do? What is it going to press you to do? Uh, Paul says, this love that Christ had for me has compelled me to want to live for him. How will we respond to his sacrifice for us? He demonstrated his love for us at the cross. The scripture says, when we were at our very worst, Christ died for us. More than a hundred years ago, a great renewal of genuine Christianity swept through Wales. Church buildings overflowed. Thousands of new converts were made. It was the Welsh revival of 1904. Welsh Christian Rees wrote a wonderful hymn. Here is love, vast as the ocean. It became known as the love song of the Welsh revival and was used mightily by God during that time. And out of the midst of nowhere, as I was studying for this teaching this morning, this was the song that came to my heart. I didn't know even what the title was, but all I knew was there is love vast as the ocean. And I remember hearing this tune, and so I looked it up on Google and looked at the words and uh, all the background came to it. This is the song that was sung during the Welsh Revival. And it's about the love of God for us. 
And here are the words. I'm just going to read them to you. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood, who is love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise. He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. In heaven's peace and perfect justice, kiss the guilty world in love. And this was the song of the Welsh revival that went on for years. And if you know anything about revival, it's not some tent where somebody sets up some meeting, but it is a presence of God that comes into an area so strong that people's lives and hearts are changed. And this is the thing that we need to pray for, that God would come down and that God's presence would change us and put a fire in our hearts to want to live for him. But for two years, the song, here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. How will you respond to Christ's great love for you? Will you walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul gives us our great example as we look through uh, verses 5 through 11. The humbled and exalted Christ. In verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, because of these things, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Paul writes, had the same mind as Jesus. This is what he went through. The same habit of thought, that word in the Greek means for mind, expressed by deeds, by action. As Jesus said, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear from the Father, I speak. I only do those things that please him. And that is one mind. And the Lord Jesus was of one mind with the Father. And Paul is asking the church of Philippi as a father over them and his great love for them while he's in a jail cell in Rome. He couldn't be with them and he's telling them to live for Jesus. Don't just say that you're saved, but live for him. And so Jesus, he made himself of no reputation. He became a bondservant. A bondservant was one that decided to stay as a servant. In humility, he humbled himself and was obedient unto death, the death of the cross. And because of his obedience and love for the Father, the Father has highly exalted him. He has a name above every name. The only name whereby we can be saved. 
and some of the names that have meant much to me and many people here sitting today know Jesus by many names. He's the Rose of Sharon to me. He's the Lily of the Valleys. He's the Good Shepherd who lays his life down for us. And he is the Bright and the Morning Star. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He speaks of in Revelation. One day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Even the arrogant, those that swear against Christ one day, they will bow the knee. The kings, the queens, the presidents and prime ministers, those who lived in total rebellion and rejection of Christ will bend the knee and say he is Lord, he is Lord of all, to the glory of God the Father. In John chapter 21, there's a, an exchange between Peter and Jesus, and Jesus had resurrected, it's recorded in John 21, he's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The disciples led by Peter, they decided they were going to go fishing, right? <laughs> Jesus was no longer there. So Peter says, I'm, I'm going fishing. And so they said, well, we're, we're going with you. And so uh, they take off to go fishing. <laughs> Not really about the Lord's will, I don't think, at that point. But uh, <clears throat> So they go fishing for the whole night, and they came back with nothing, right? And now they see someone standing on the shore, and they hear a voice, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. Cast the net on the right side, and you'll find something. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. And John says to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. It's the Lord, Peter. And Peter girds himself up because he was, you know, he was out sunning himself, I don't know, but he dives in to swim to shore, and he drags the net to shore, and Jesus tells him to bring some of your fish, and he does the best fish roast ever on the shore of Galilee. And, uh, and I'm sure those fish were awesome. You know, I've had some roasted fish, but I'm sure what Jesus does is far greater than the ones I've had, you know. So Jesus roasts fish for them, and he feeds them. And he... But after that, they eat. Jesus speaks to Peter, and this is what I want to look at. And it's concerning his love for him. And Jesus said, Son of Jonah, do you love me more than these, or more than the rest of these? Peter said, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus answered, Feed my lambs. Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you, do you love me? Agapal is the Greek word. The deep, abiding love that you'd be willing to give up everything else. Peter answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus answered, Tend my sheep. And Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus answered, feed my sheep. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, if you say that you love me, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Be about my business. If you say that you love me, you need to be a servant for me. It's not enough to say we love Jesus. The understanding of his love must cause us to want to live for him. And Jesus is saying now to us, do you love me? Just like he said to Peter, not in condemnation, 
saying, do you love me? Because if you love me, you need to be about my business. You need to be about living for me. As we close this morning, uh, maybe you're living in sin and thinking it's okay. You know, God knows me. He understands. That's not love for Jesus. That's living in rebellion for Christ, against Christ. Love places Jesus first. It's sacrificial, remember? It's long-suffering. It serves him, not the world, not ourselves. He said the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead resides within each one of us. And so if we're living in sin day after day and coming to the Lord and telling him that we're sorry and continuing to do the same thing over and over again, that's not repentance. And if that's you, you need to repent. You need to turn from that sin and a godly sorrow that leads to a change of behavior, which is called biblical repentance. Turn away from that sin and walk towards Jesus. Jesus set us free from sin. The Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He's given us the power to overcome. Let's not deny the power of the Spirit of God. So if that's you today, you need to repent. Maybe you're saved, but you've been leading a lukewarm life, just waiting for the return of Christ. You know, we're saved and we're just sitting, waiting for him to come. I can't wait till he comes. That's not the call of God for us. He wants us to be light and salt, right? If the salt has lost its savor, he said. Many of your friends don't even know that Jesus has saved you. You're, you're fearful to tell them. There's no outward appearance of the work that Jesus Christ has done in you. That's not love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He asked us again to be light and salt for his kingdom. You know, the commands at the end of Matthew are, Go ye therefore, right? And make disciples. He didn't say pastors make disciples. He didn't say uh, church uh, leadership go make disciples. But he's making, giving that command to all of us. Because he endured the cross for each one of us. And he humbled himself and was obedient unto death for us. And that's what Paul was writing about today. Let that mind be in you that was also in him. If you're leading a lukewarm life for Christ, ask him to fill you with the Spirit. Again and again through the book of Acts, we see the infilling of the Holy Spirit to be endued with power from on high. That you would have a fresh fire from God. And all you need to do with that is to ask God to fill you. That's what Jesus said. If you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much will my Father give you of the Holy Spirit if you just ask? Ask. That you would have a passion. You have a boldness for him. That you will live for Jesus. And Jesus said that the world may know that I love the Father as he commands, so I do. He also said, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my words. Obedience to God is love. The world knows Jesus' love for the Father by his obedience. And so my question is, how will the world know our love for Christ? By our rebellion? By our sitting still? By our doing Nothing until he comes. We need to humble ourselves and become obedient to Christ. And that message has gone into my heart long before I'm speaking it here about living for the Lord Jesus. We're not greater than the Master. It's not enough that we. Be, it's enough that we be like Him, with the same mind. And uh, one of the one of the prayers my my son uh, would say as we uh, close for the night. I would sit with him and uh, he would say. Help me to be like you, Jesus. That's what he would say. 
Help me to be like you, Jesus. Yeah, help us to be like you, Jesus. To love Jesus and serve him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm going to ask Chris to come up and we're going to close this this morning. The song from the Welsh Revival again is Here's Love as is the Ocean. Loving kindness as the flood. And the Prince of Life our ransom. Shed for us his precious blood.